Welcome to episode is this 62? I think it's 62. 62 of Roll or Die. Today we have Black Belt Powerhouse couple Ariel Tabak and Hope Douglas. Woo-hoo. Welcome. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank, Thank you. You. <laughs> you guys have just been at some sort of seminar this morning, running some sort of seminar right here. Last night, uh, yesterday. You, yes, yesterday today. we had the seminar. Yeah, we did a, a Nogi Jeans seminar. MMA, this yeah. one. Oh yeah, I should I should be wearing the shirt as well. <laughs> Elvis is really cool. He, he gave us he, he gave us both uh, uh, King's MMA shirt. Nice. It's pretty cool, interesting design. Nice. Mark, show us a bit more. We can't we can't only see your heads. So oh, thanks. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. Very yeah. nice. So you guys are up in Sydney at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and you are looking at running a camp in Byron Bay in about we three are, weeks' time. Yeah. Is that right? Tell we us about a- that. Okay, so we have a camp scheduled uh, in Byron Bay from the 4th till the 7th of June. Mm. So it runs over four days. It's myself, Ari, Tallison, and Levi, and it's running out of Tallison's um, gym, the academy. Yeah, it's both gi and no gi. Sweet. And is there, a, like, is there a focus of the seminar? Oh, it's gi and no gi, but is there a, like, is it a legs focused kind of event or is it like what, what, uh, what's the intention or so, so, the, so there's there's no particular focus um so each each one of uh, each one of the coaches are going to be doing uh like a seminar on technical own. difficulties sorry <laughs> sorry yeah each of the coaches are doing a seminar on their their own choice um but i'm pretty sure levi is doing a nogi yeah. seminar um or maybe Talison, i'm not sure but, um, uh, Levi and uh, Talison are doing the Nogi seminar. So um, I'm sure they're going to show some kind of leg entry stuff from there. Yeah, cool. Um, Talison yeah. himself has got a, he's, you know, won, won Nogi Worlds at Black Belt. I think it was end of last year or maybe 2019. 2019. 2019, it was, yeah. And um, Levi, I mean, he's obviously known as the gay guy, but he's actually got a very good understanding of the leg entanglement game. And he's mm. quite good at Nogi as well. Yeah, he's training he's... a lot with Lockie at the moment in Melbourne. Right. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what they bring to the table in the next few Nogi competitions. That'd be awesome. And how, is, is there still spots available? How much does it cost? Like, let's get the promotion of that event um, sorted out. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, the tickets are available online. Yeah. I think um, we've got the links in our like profiles on Instagram. So if you're interested in like getting tickets, have a look through the link. Okay, we'll uh, add the links on this as well when we uh, when this drops in about a week or so as sure well. Yeah, so, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Ari and I will be teaching the gi seminars at the camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no particular like um, focus, but I think that we will be working like along the same like conceptual lines and working mm-hmm. together to yeah to offer something. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, well, thanks awesome. for posting those links. Now, I've just got to put a pause on all of this for a second because it's Mother's Day, and uh, I just I don't <laughs> think we've acknowledged that. Are you a mother, Hope? Yes. Right. And yeah, I have mother, a happy Mother's Day to you, ladies. <laughs> yeah, and, happy Mother's uh, Day. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day, Kim. <laughs> happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day to especially BJJ mums. I think they're the greatest kind of mum. You know, I wish my mum was a BJJ yeah. mum. But, uh, <laughs> a black belt holy shit that's 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 just <laughs> no one would mess with me if my mom was a black belt in bjj <laughs> <laughs> what is that like hope because i haven't um gone in with my kids to jiu-jitsu but your daughter has done quite a bit of jiu-jitsu how does that go like having a having a mum 
as a jiu-jitsu, um, well, world, pretty much world level black belt jiu-jitsu. And then, yeah, how's she going with her jiu-jitsu? Oh, she's, um, she's at the stage that she's really like getting into it for herself for the last, like, till she was about seven or eight, she kind of just, um, you know, was mucking up in the gym and just there because I was there. But the last few years, she's really gotten into it um, for herself. She's starting to build her own game. She gets private lessons from people and um, she's a little bear and baller machine. So, yeah. Oh, wow. And she loves awesome. to compete as well. So that's cool. Awesome. Awesome. And Hope, you've also been really involved with Australian Girls in Ghee. Um, yeah. Tell us a bit more about that, like especially at that sort of junior kids level sort of thing. So if anyone's listening who has like younger kids out there, would you have any advice for them about like getting them into jiu-jitsu or keeping them in jiu-jitsu or things like that, particularly girls, I guess? Uh, it's a really tricky one. I think it's got to just be enjoyable. Like uh, I know my daughter Mia, she went through a phase where she didn't want to do jiu-jitsu. So I didn't make her go. That probably lasted about a year. Um, but I think it's just, um, I don't know, it's got to be jiu-jitsu. Like it's got to be in- enjoyable. So you've got to find somewhere that like they've got, they make friends, they enjoy going somewhere they want to be. Otherwise they just like, they don't learn if they're not enjoying enjoying the process. I think that applies to adults as well, really. Absolutely. But when she, like, so she took this year off and then like, uh-huh. How did you know, or once once she started to show signs that maybe she was missing it or something, or what happened after a year? I'm really keen to know because I, I, like I have a son, he actually went a long way in jiu-jitsu. And jiu-jitsu. I mean, he may pick up, he's 15 now. He may pick up yeah. again. He's really into basketball, but even that goes in waves where they kind of get disconnected from it. And like from one mm-hmm. parent to another and other parents out there, when like you you've had this situation where now your daughter's pulling it towards her again so I'm interested to hear from you guys on like how did you how did you not have her how did you keep her excited about it once she wanted to go back or you know whatever um I've to be honest I haven't really done anything to keep her excited I think it helps that like she's just in the gym all the time she's literally grown up in the gym Mm. when she was a baby I used to like put her to sleep in the pram park her in the change rooms while I trained yeah um and, so, and yeah, she's she's been in the gym since she was like less than one year old. She's grown up in the gym uh, and she's still, you know, she's at the gym all the time with us. So she's just around it all the time. So it's part of her like normal lifestyle. Um, I haven't really ever pushed her to do classes either. When like she didn't want to train, I didn't make her train, but I'd always ask her if she wanted to. And I think okay. the turning point for her was when she went back to a class and she started getting beaten up by the kids that she used to be able to beat in, in roles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. she's like, she's just quite competitive in herself. Yeah. And that really pushed her to want to go back and beat them. Right. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And Thank you. Talking about that. So you've brought her in there since she, she was like a baby. Like, tell us mm-hmm. about how you started jujitsu, like for both of you, like mm. Ari as well. Sorry, didn't mean to just make this all about hope, but <laughs> just the way it's going. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, and also, how did you guys meet? Like, did you meet at Jiu-Jitsu or outside Jiu-Jitsu? Or, yeah, tell us about that. Well, we met um, in, like, through, uh, it was actually at Absolute. Oh, well, no, we didn't meet at Absolute. but I think uh, we, like, you know how you just know know people from around the Jiu-Jitsu scene? So I think, like, we knew who each other were for a long time but never really hung out hmm. until, like, um, 2016 2016 yeah, yeah and we went to the same we went to pan Ams in america together yeah. and then we were just hanging out with the same crowd yeah 
Wow. And what about how you started jiu-jitsu, like, for both of you? Like, a lot of people that we have on this show, they've been doing jiu-jitsu for, like, 20-plus years. So they started, like, when the UFC kind of first mm-hmm. came in. You guys are both a bit younger. So tell us about your beginnings and what brought you to jiu-jitsu. Oh, I started – um. So I started doing karate when I was a kid, when I was like six, but through that karate school, um, when um, some of the Brazilians came out, <coughs> I would have been like nine, I think. Uh, Marcelo Hazenji, who owns Gracie Baja in Sydney, he started coming and doing jujitsu seminars at our karate school. So I started doing that, um, like a little bit of jujitsu then. Um, I competed at the Panpax, I think when I was like nine, 10, 11 during those years so I like I competed quite young I think I got to like I don't know maybe like orange or orange I don't even know if I got my green belt Um, but then I stopped for a few years and then went back again as a teenager I think at 15 and then I'm training with Marcella we'd moved to Sydney my family had moved to Sydney at that time so when I trained then um, like every day with Marcella at his um, Gracie Baja Academy in uh, Manly and got my blue belt at 16 and then stopped again for a few years. Uh, I had my daughter Mia when I was 20 uh, and really like I wanted to get into jujitsu again. It's just like a hobby, like something to do to get me out of the house. It was something that I already knew, something that was familiar. It was like just the sport that I'd done. So I got back into it um, and then started working at the gym and ended up just doing jujitsu full time. And that was like 10 years ago now. So been doing it full time since then wow yeah what a, that's a beautiful story thank you. And Ari? you Ari? i started when i was about 15 i wanted to i had background in taekwondo and i felt like it just wasn't um for me it wasn't like the most realistic martial art mm. so i wanted to do something um a bit more practical so i initially looked for a muay thai gym couldn't find a muay thai gym ended up finding an MMA gym in Malvern, in Melbourne. In and, um, well, yeah, Malvern, Malvern Health and Fitness was the first room I trained. In. Okay, cool. And, um, and I was there for MMA a sounding name, brother. <laughs> yeah, a- yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, what's it called? So I started off in the, the teen MMA class, mm-hmm. eventually started doing like uh, the Nogi MMA class. And then after about a year, switched to the Gi, then moved to Sydney for my university degree. And I was at, I switched between two gyms while I was initially in Sydney. And uh, by the time I moved back to Melbourne, I was a brown belt in 2019. And then got my black belt a year later in the States. Yeah. These guys both got their black belt on the same day, Anton. Really? So tell us about that. Like that must have been pretty special because like getting a black belt is a, is a special day. But marriage doing it together. That's the ultimate marriage. <laughs> uh, we 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 were in the states, um, competing at Worlds. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah, and um, the the um, the guy that we've affiliated under, we're still under his team, Cicero Costa. He um. Uh, decided to grade us all uh, on that same day after we had finished competing world. So it wasn't just us that got our black belts. It was a whole bunch of people at least. Yeah. Yeah. A whole bunch of of other brown belts, including guys like Talison and Diego Pato and all those guys. So it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. It was fun. Big group grading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. What what would you say like black belts? Because you guys, 
you know, our seasoned black belts, seasoned competitors. Like, how, how have you, like, once you get your black belt, right, is that, did anything change for you? Did you put more pressure on yourself, less pressure? Like, I'm interested. People have different views. A lot of people think it's like just going back to the start or like nothing changes or it's a, a life-changing moment that alters everything. Where, where do you guys sit with getting a black belt? I definitely felt like for me, um, especially competition-wise, it was like less pressure. Mm. And I think the pressure is something you always put on yourself anyway. Mm. Uh, and I hung on to my, my brown belt for a long time. I wanted to compete like for a long time at brown belt. And then once I got my black belt, I was like, oh, what am I doing? This is <laughs> this is where it's at. This is so much more fun. Cool. Um, and you're in the divisions with everyone like that you've been watching for years as well. And mm. then I actually felt like I started performing probably better than at brown belt because I didn't put the same amount of pressure on myself. Interesting. Yeah. Now you. For, for me, it was, there was more so just pressure leading up to the first tournament. Other, other than that, though, it, I don't know, it didn't, there, there wasn't much else to it. It was just, it, it was still just comp competition at the end of the day. Mm. Um, I, I do also think that the, in, in that year of going from brown to black belt, there was a, a lot of technical improvements that I'd made, especially from that last trip that I did to Unity where I stayed there for two months. Mm. So I think that kind of really helped me like, you know, push past that, that, uh, that level that I needed to get past. Yeah, because you got went from brown to black in one year. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, that's it. That yeah, is a so fast progression, isn't it? Really? I had a short stay at, at brown belt, and uh, a big part of that was because of how long I was at purple. I stayed at purple for almost four years. Yeah. Right. So I was there for a while. So kind of by the time I was, you know, a few months into my brown belt, I, I, I didn't really have much of an interest in staying as a brown belt. Mm. whereas that purple belt i wanted to stay at purple belt for a while wow yeah. okay kim's yeah, gonna ask a question I'm yeah well the reason i ran off before sorry guys normally when we have um guests on i try and find something like on youtube or whatever and we play it in the background i didn't realize that my volume was like playing high as well sorry about that so yeah i would the plan was to play like some of your fights from um especially like the grand slam because um it's yeah, you guys are pretty much like professional jujitsu players, yeah, in Australia. Like, tell us about that. Like, what did that just sort of evolve, or was that something that you made a conscious decision? Because I guess there's not a lot of um, people at your level in Australia, and people that do pretty much make jujitsu like your your life. Would you say? Like that's mm. kind of your your thing like was that something that just kind of happened through like evolution or did you kind of direct your attention to that um I think for me it was kind of through like evolution and just working in the gym all the time as well it was something that like um just progressively grew like I wanted to like I was working in the gym so I was you know around jiu-jitsu full-time I wanted to do it full-time then I'd start competing and then I'd see competitions overseas and I'd want to go to those and then the more opportunities that you start seeing come up like the more you sort of push for it and um yeah just we've really been doing it like full-time for quite a while now um, for for me one thing that I noticed was that when I first started training as a white belt I had this particular perception of what jiu-jitsu competition was like and then when I started to actually jump in more competitions and then I started to go overseas and see what competition was like you know at the black belt worlds i started to get a, 
a much better understanding of what the culture of jiu-jitsu competition was and particularly getting that perception of the the culture of Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition was what really I was very attracted to that kind of culture and it made me you know want to actually immerse myself more in the competition scene what is the culture what is the culture of Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition because I I think I've discovered I like I'm scared of competing I grow through competing but I don't think I'm connected to the culture because I'm just too busy worrying about myself. You know what I mean? So please do share that with me, man. You know, what's funny as I, as I was actually explaining, as I was, as I was actually saying, saying that I was thinking, Oh, am I actually going to explain what the culture of the jujitsu is? It's, it's quite, it's very hard to actually explain. I I could chuck in a few words, but I feel like it wouldn't, it wouldn't do it justice, but there is a particular, um, there's a particular like uh, like energy and, and atmosphere in a mm. in a high level competition that you experience that um, it's quite hard to experience elsewhere. Like I feel mm. the difference between competing in Australia versus competing at say um, a Grand Slam in Brazil, for example, mm. is a very very like big shift in in obviously culture but also the entire atmosphere and energy you feel yeah definitely i really love how like you know how in um, competition in australia once you've been around for a while you kind of get to know everybody and you get to know the coaches and the the same people that are competing i feel like it's the same for the international comps as well you really get to know like most of the faces that are there all the time and the coaches and the referees and then you rock up in like a different country like portugal or abu dhabi or wherever you are and you, the whole week, like leading up to the comp, you're training with like your international friends and they're all training for the same comps together. Um, you're all cheering each other on from the sidelines. Everybody's, everybody's like there together and watching. Like it's a really, um, really cool experience. And then a couple of months later, you'll see them or a month later, you'll see them all um, in a different country again. Yeah. Like a global mm-hmm. community sense. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh-huh. And how is that for you guys as a couple? Like I know for myself competing on my own I you know I'm get full of nerves and I'm very hard to be around like you guys mm. have been together for quite a while how do you go when you're both competing particularly at the same tournament mm. do you kind of wait. like <laughs> yeah or something like that how is it we're, we've been we've been like in the warm-up area a few times now which is quite cool yeah sometimes we're on like we even make it to like the we're fighting on the mats at the same time next to each other which is cool there's been matches okay. where I've looked up halfway through to check where he has it where he's at in his match and see if he's doing okay which is cool but in regards to like the lead up for comps yeah it's definitely been like up and down battles and like you know sometimes we're not always weight cutting together sometimes i'll be weight cutting or he'll be weight cutting um ari's always a lot more of an empathetic person than i am definitely if he's weight cutting i'm still like in portugal eating all the all the pastries and <laughs> whereas R is a lot more um a lot more sensitive to those sort of things oh, for sure. Good man. Uh, good man. Yeah. But definitely there's like all of the um all of the ups and downs, like the emotional ups and downs and getting frustrated and having to learn how to work together and and um like appreciate that the other person's going through a particular you know struggle and we've both got nerves. I'm definitely the one that probably gets more nerves leading up to comps than Ari does uh, historically. Yeah. And then you, you're on the mats uh, together and then sometimes one person will win and the other won't. And then you've got to like be 
really sensitive, try and be sensitive towards how the other person's feeling as well. Um, so it's definitely been a huge learning process. And when you both, yeah. when do you have a ritual? Is there some way you celebrate? I mean, that's shareable in a, in a public <laughs> family <context>. sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we have like a, like a ritual. I think the ritual is just always going out to eat afterwards. So that's kind of the, the post-comp ritual anyway. Yeah. We, Regardless of the result, I guess. We've had like terrible um, post like weight cut rituals. I wouldn't recommend and I probably wouldn't do again either. Where yeah. we've like had to, you know, where we've been cutting water weight as well and dehydrating ourselves. And then straight afterwards, we'll be like uh, slamming back Coke and lollies and things because you're just craving that sugar. So yeah. that was like a post weight cut. I wouldn't, I don't think we'd do that now, but <laughs> being a little bit more health conscious. Yeah. 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 And um, another thing too, you guys are quite open to sort of cross training and training at lots of different gyms and things like that yeah. and evolving your jiu-jitsu that way. Um, some traditionalists are quite against that. What mm-hmm. What's your sort of take on that? What would you say to people that maybe think that, no, you, you start at the gym, you stay at this gym, you know, it's kind of uh, disloyal to your coach to go and train elsewhere. Like what are your thoughts around that? Well, the, the, the first thing is, so if, 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 I, if, if I was looking at it from the coach's perspective, I think about whether, do I actually want to force a student to stay at a gym that they don't actually want to stay at? What if there's a, another gym that catches their eye and they actually really fit in at that gym and they really want to move to that gym? They should clearly have the right to do that, and they do. The other thing is, in regards to cross-training, whilst main, staying at, at one gym, you're actually going to help build the standard of, of, of your gym by allowing your students to do that. So if you, let's say you have one gym that is uh, very set in very more like less modern, more old school style of jujitsu. If you have a few students that are cross training with more modern game, um, cross training at gyms that have a more modern game, they're going to be not only improving their own technique, but once they come back and train with the guys at their home gym, they're actually going to be, you know, it's almost like by osmosis, they're going to be improving and raising the standard of the gym. Yeah, It's a very like, it's very self-explanatory and obvious how that thing works. And I think that uh, the people that do, you know, that do get very petty with that sort of thing, that's what really hinders the overall growth of, of that gym. Yeah. From, for, especially from a competition. As, as you say, it's, you say it's obvious, and yet every time we ask this question, and we ask it a lot, we get slightly different answers that do give us and our viewers slightly different views, and definitely hadn't, hadn't pondered, you know, how it can shift and raise the standard of your, your gym, you know, and I really do think that that's, that's a powerful view. Well, what, what, what's the funny thing that we're doing now? Well, it's, it's sorry, what's funny with kind of like uh, one of the results of what we have achieved in Sydney is um, so at, at the gym that we train at in Sydney, I'm training mainly at a gym in Lidcombe and uh, this gym, uh, it is part of uh, of uh, like my, it's a my BJJ gym, except um, it's not essentially run like the standard my BJJ. It's a bit more unorthodox mm-hmm. and uh, we actually have, a session, a midday session, and it's a comp class session. It's completely self-directed. So when you go to that gym, you are choosing what you're going to be drilling. And 
you know, it's all on you basically to kind of improve your own technique. You're not relying on a coach. Mm. Um, obviously you can help get help from the guys there, but that's, that's a separate thing. Mm. Um, so it's drilling and sparring. And the other cool thing with that is that we have people from different gyms coming down. Mm. And so none of us are actually on the same team in this gym, mm. but we all train same together time. constantly. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is seeing other people that occasionally come down to cross train and it's quite funny just seeing them get blown away by, you know, how they feel after they've rolled with all of us, especially some of the blue belts that mm. we have at this gym as well. Um, and I think that's just because we cross train that's and right. the guys that are occasionally coming in don't cross train and we consistently cross train. Brilliant. So yeah. I think the cross training thing though, it also comes down to like um, what your goals are in the sport because not everybody wants to cross train. I think uh, some people, they, they go to jiu-jitsu because they want to be like part of a team and like it's more for the social aspect and they don't like the idea of cross-training. Mm. You know, we come to cross-training with like from the perspective that we're competitors and we need to prepare ourselves properly for competitions. And when you have like, um, you know, competitors in your division that are training with like, you know, like if you look at some of the teams overseas with the people that we've got to compete against and they've got, you know, many like, you know, multiple time world champions on the mats and that's their daily training partners. We can't like just limit ourselves to a few training partners within one gym that mm. might not be appropriate training partners as well. Yeah. Like, um, you know, it's not appropriate for me prepping for a lightweight, you know, female black belt division to just roll with 80 kilo like blue belt guys all the time. It's just like, you know, sure, I could get something potentially from that role, but it's not. It's not the same preparation. So we've got to like then try and find the most appropriate um, training partners possible, which um, like I think applies to everybody, but especially like as a female in the sport, like there's no one gym that I can go to and get like a good spread of high, high level females on the mats. So yeah. I end up going and training between like quite yeah. a few different gyms with the best females that I can find so that I can get the most appropriate training to then take into competition. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're all in the same boat, actually. Now, I mean, Kim is not only female, she's a master female. I'm a master male. I'm a purple belt. I'm, so you're right. We all have our own niche of what we're looking for, unless you're the cookie cutter, stereotypical 20-year-old blue belt who's, you know, most of the people on the mats, let's say. Like, they can train in their own gym. But to find, for, for people like myself, we all have our own niche that we need to find. And to cross train is one of the best ways to find more people like ourselves. I definitely think that's true. So, sorry, go on. Sorry. The other thing is I'm sure there's also the element of cross training for the social purpose as well. You know, mm. what if, mm. what if say, you know, the reason why you're at a certain gym is because, you know, it's close to your home, close to work, but, all your close friends are training at another gym. You know, you're occasionally going to want to train at that gym too, which should totally be okay. And if you want to find love in BJJ, you don't want to preferably do that at your own gym as well. You know what I mean? You want to be able to roam <laughs> around because you don't, you know, <laughs> it's important, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and romantic. do you think that having that, um, <laughs> that what you were saying is okay if you are still say at a, a blue belt or um, say early purple belt level where you're still evolving your game if you haven't got a coach there to sort of like uh, 
help you along. How do you guys go? I mean, you're both black belts, so you're fairly uh, far along in your journey. But how do you think someone would go who's still fairly early-ish on in their progress, not having that person to sort of mentor them? Or do you think it's still okay? Well, so it, I think, firstly, it's completely dependent on the individual. Me personally, I actually haven't had a, uh, a coach since uh, I got given my blue belt and I moved to Sydney. Wow. Um, so so that, that's kind of that, like, when, when I see people, you know, that feel like they're very dependent on, on a coach, it's, again, I don't think it's necessarily the case. You Can know, you talk a bit about why you have chosen that or not why yeah like are you uncoachable <laughs> or are you it's, like, okay. no, I, I am actually very coachable the, the, <laughs> the issue with me was that um so from white to blue i had a very good coach in melbourne daniel shaw um and then i unfortunately had to pack everything up and go to sydney to pursue my uni degree yeah and the the gym that I was training at in Sydney, firstly they were they were practically anti pulling guard, which was right. obviously a, an issue for me. Um, they thought the barambolo didn't work, and I've I was barambolling since I was a white belt, and it was it was just impossible. Like I I would obviously still learn things, and I would do my do my best to try and see, like try and pick out things that would actually fit in my game, um, but as of say late blue belt, early purple belt, it, I actually got to a point where I found it really hard to actually um, benefit from a lot of the coaches that I was training, training under in Sydney, because they were just very, um, it, it was basically just this repetitive, like fundamental syllabus that had nothing to do with my game or competition, let alone competition, um, which was, which was a shame. Um, but like I've mentioned before, I've, I've definitely said this a lot in a lot of my other podcasts. The, the closest thing I had to a coach for a few years when I had moved to Garage was Levi. He was helping me out a lot. Um, and he wasn't even, you know, intentionally playing coach. It was more so just giving me a few tips here and here and there and, and learning from him from drilling and rolling. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, the, the rest of it was practically just self-direction. Amazing. Like I get, it gives, there'd be some people out there feeling alienated right now. Like why isn't there a coach in my area or why can't, you know, whatever, whatever reason they're dealing with that out of falling out with their coach. Now they're alone or they're in between gyms. I guess it gives a lot of hope to people who are in that transitional phase to know not only can you, can you get continue to train, but you can actually thrive and achieve elite levels of competitiveness um, without a coach pretty much the whole way through from Bluebell. Like that is actually a really inspiring story, I'm sure, to a lot of people who are feeling disconnected in that way right now. Mm. Yeah. I, if, it was, if it was up to me, I, I would definitely want to have had a coach. I'm thankful that I got the, that I've got the ability, you know, because I didn't have a coach, I was able to kind of develop in a way where I could essentially coach myself. But mm. if I had the choice between the two, I definitely want to, want to have a coach. But better to be single than in a relationship with someone who's bad for you, right? You know, that's how I look at this. <laughs> that's Always actually taking a- it back to that, Anton. <laughs> I have plenty of bad relationships. I know all about that. <laughs> that's a very good point, especially yeah. with like a coach-student relationship. Totally. I yeah. totally agree with that. Yeah. 
And what's the future for you guys? So um, I know that you were previously living in Melbourne. You guys moved back to Sydney before the lockdowns last year. You got lucky and managed to get to train still through most of last year, unlike us mm-hmm. here in Melbourne. Um, are you guys going to stay there? Are you going to come back to Melbourne or what, what's up? What's up? I think we're kind of undecided at the moment. You know, we're just like a, like playing it by ear. Nice. It's so like, you know, things are so unsure at the moment. So mm, we're just making sure that we can um, train. It's hard not being able to plan for, for comps as well because usually we plan the year around the competition schedule. So now the year's just being planned around like the training schedule. Um, so we're just, you know, focusing on getting better and, and waiting to see like what opportunities come up. You know, we'd love to go back to Melbourne if it um, if it's like suitable, if it works for us, and hopefully we'll get back there at some point. Yeah. Was that okay for you? Because you guys pretty much like got your black belts. You were just on the up in terms of the international scene. You were just, <laughs> and then the pandemic hit, and yeah. so now you kind of had to put a pause on it. Like, how's yeah. that been? So we got like I think a solid maybe six months in of competition at Black Belt. So really thankful for that. You know, we got to smash out quite a few comps at Black Belt. Um, but at the same time, it's disappointing. You know, you finally get to that that level of competition and then you have to you have to put it all on hold because it's all like, you know, all the coloured belts is just like essentially like preparation or leading up to the, to the Black Belt divisions. Mm. Um, so definitely is like disappointing and you have, you know, had to like, you know, struggle with that over the last year and then sort of rearrange priorities and, and, and whatever else. But, yeah, just making, making do, doing the best that we can at the moment. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. I really appreciate you guys coming on the show today. I know that you had to move things around for us and you met with us on Mother's Day to do this show, which is really <laughs> lovely, taking time out of that for us. So thank you so much. I really yeah, appreciate Thank that. you. So, yeah, we'll... We'll post this up in a, about a week or two. So if you could share it, that would be great. And we'll post the link to your camp. And, yeah, hopefully we will uh, see you on the mat soon. Yeah, yeah of yes. course. Are you, are you guys posting it up on YouTube? Uh, we've been on YouTube, have we, Anton? That's yeah, one way we haven't. Going. That's a good point. We so, just got uh, Instagram happening, but we're on uh, Spotify. Make a YouTube uh, channel. iTunes. Yeah. We will. Yeah, I'm totally. writing that down. Mr. Technology. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what We're, we should do. No, yeah. I, we, are, we are very behind in this. This has been a very organic growth. It's just, <laughs> you know, we just had yeah. so much fun doing this, but it keeps building and building. And, you know, now, yeah. Now we're yeah. Well, yeah. Anton and I started this just a phone call every week, just he and I. And then somehow he said, oh, let's get another person in and we'll have like a conversation with them about jujitsu. And then he said, let's record it and put it on Facebook. So then it just grew from there. So right. we're doing it for like a year and a, about yeah. a year and a half now, haven't that, we? That's, Anton? that's uh-huh. the best way to ask someone if they want to do a podcast without yeah. asking them if they want to do a podcast. Right. That's right. <laughs> but now we, we really feel like we're unearthing really great, not unearthing, because obviously you guys are you know part of the furniture of the scene, but Having said that, I didn't know you at all. You know, I think I'd seen Hope at Boa, maybe. I think you competed at Boa. Is that right, Hope? No, I didn't. What did I, say? Oh, I saw you at something. Anyway, I saw you on some, in some sort of exit-type match somewhere or something. Right, right. But, um, yeah, I, the bottom line is that, you know, I just kind of only knew about you, slight, you know, a little bit. But now I feel like I really know you and, like, I'd have dinner with you guys. It'd be a really fun <laughs> yeah. night. Like, that's what yeah. this does mainly for uh-huh. us. You know, we get to kind of yeah. uh-huh. discover these amazing people. 
that's it. These guys are jiu-jitsu celebrities. Normally right. we have sort of the everyday people on. So, yeah, we were very privileged to have you guys, the, the royalty of jiu-jitsu in Australia. So yeah, thank you so much. And, yeah, Thanks. as I said, we'll post it up. If you could share it, that will be great so we can grow our yeah. audio audience. Apparently we do have quite a few people watching and listening to this, which still surprises me. But, yeah, <laughs> they're out there. So, awesome. yeah. Thank you, guys, and Thank have you. A, enjoy the rest of Mother's Day. Thank yeah, you, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.